This is day 30 of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing Numbers chapters 29 through 33 today. Heavenly Father, please humble us. Please bring us down low so that we can have the proper mindset, the proper perspective between you and us. That we are so insignificant, Lord, compared to you. And we need you so desperately. We may remember that and we may seek your face today. And every day moving forward. Knowing that you are the Lord. And you are worthy of our time, of our attention, of our praise. And our life. That we may remember that daily. Please bless this time. In Jesus name. Amen. Now in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall also have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It will be to you a day for blowing trumpets. You shall offer a burnt offering as a soothing aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, and seven male lambs, one year old without defect. Also their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, and one-tenth for, for each of the seven lambs. Offer one male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you, besides the burnt offering of the new moon and its grain offering, and the continual burnt offering and its grain offering, and their drink offerings according to their ordinance, for a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. Then on the tenth day of this seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall humble yourselves. You shall not do any work. You shall present a burnt offering to the Lord as a soothing aroma. One bull, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old, having them without defect, and their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the one ram, a tenth for each of the seven lambs, one male goat for a sin offering, besides the sin offering of atonement and the continual burnt offering and its grain offering and their drink offerings. Then on the fifteenth day of the seventh month you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work, and you shall observe a feast to the Lord for seven days. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering by fire, as a soothing aroma to the Lord. Thirteen bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs one year old, which are without defect, and their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each of the thirteen bulls, two-tenths for each of the two rams, and a tenth for each of the fourteen lambs, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering and its drink offering. Then on the second day, twelve bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number, 
according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering and its grain offering and their drink offerings. Then on the third day, eleven bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering and its grain offering and its drink offering. Then on the fourth day, ten bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect, their grain offerings, and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. Then on the fifth day, nine bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect, and their grain offering, and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, and its grain offering, and its drink offering. Then on the sixth day, eight bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offerings. Then on the seventh day, seven bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the eighth day you shall have a solemn assembly. You shall do no laborious work. But you shall present a burnt offering, an offering by fire, as a soothing aroma to the Lord, one bull, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old without defect, their grain offerings and their drink offerings for the bull, for the ram, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering and its grain offering and its drink offering. You shall present these to the Lord at your appointed times, besides your votive offerings and your free will offerings, for your burnt offerings and for your grain offerings and for your drink offerings and for your peace offerings. Moses spoke to the sons of Israel in accordance with all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the word which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord, or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. 
he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Also, if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by an obligation in her father's house and her youth, and her father hears her vow and her obligation by which she has bound herself, and her father says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand, and every obligation by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father should forbid her on the day he hears of it, none of her vows or her obligations by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will forgive her, because her father had forbidden her. However, if she should marry while under her vows or the rash statement of her lips by which she has bound herself, and her husband hears of it and says nothing to her on the day he hears it, then her vows shall stand, and her obligations by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if on the day her husband hears of it, he forbids her, then he shall annul her vow which she was under, and the rash statement of her lips by which she has bound herself, and the Lord will forgive her. But the vow of a widow or of a divorced woman, everything by which she has bound herself, shall stand against her. However, if she vowed in her husband's house, or bound herself by an obligation with an oath, and her husband heard it, but said nothing to her, and did not forbid her, then all her vows shall stand, and every obligation by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her husband indeed annuls them on the day he hears them, then whatever proceeds out of her lips concerning her vows or concerning the obligation of herself shall not stand. Her husband has annulled them, and the Lord will forgive her. Every vow and every binding oath to humble herself, her husband may confirm it, or her husband may annul it. But if her husband indeed says nothing to her from day to day, then he confirms all her vows or all her obligations which are on her. He has confirmed them, because he said nothing to her on the day he heard them. But if he indeed annuls them after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. These are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses, as between a man and his wife, and as between a father and his daughter, while she is in her youth in her father's house. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take full vengeance for the sons of Israel on the Midianites. Afterward you will be gathered to your people. Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm men from among you for war, that they may go against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance on Midian. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to the war. So there were furnished from the thousands of Israel a thousand from each tribe, twelve thousand armed for war. Moses sent them, a thousand from each tribe, to the war, and Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest, to the war with them. 
and the holy vessels and the trumpets for the alarm in his hand. So they made war against Midian, just as the Lord had commanded Moses, and they killed every male. They killed the kings of Midian, along with the rest of their slain, Evi and Rechem, Menzur and Hurd, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. They also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. The sons of Israel captured the women of Midian and their little ones, and all their cattle and all their flocks and all their goods they plundered. Then they burned all their cities where they lived and all their camps with fire. They took all the spoil and all the prey, both of man and of beast. They brought the captives and the prey and the spoil to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the congregation of the sons of Israel, to the camp at the plains of Moab, which are by the Jordan opposite Jericho. Moses and Eleazar the priest and all the leaders of the congregation went out to meet them outside the camp. Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the captains of thousands and the captains of hundreds, who had come from service in the war. And Moses said to them, Have you spared all the women? Behold, these caused the sons of Israel, through the counsel of Balaam, to trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. So the plague was among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore, kill every male among the little ones, and kill every woman who has known man intimately. But all the girls who have not known man intimately, spare for yourselves. And you, camp outside the camp seven days, whoever has killed any person, and whoever has touched any slain. Purify yourselves, you and your captives, on the third day and on the seventh day. You shall purify for yourselves every garment and every article of leather and all the work of goat's hair and all articles of wood. Then Eleazar the priest said to the men of war who had gone to battle, This is the statute of the law which the Lord has commanded Moses. Only the gold and the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, Everything that can stand the fire, you shall pass through the fire, and it shall be clean. But it shall be purified with water for impurity. But whatever cannot stand the fire, you shall pass through the water. And you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and be clean. And afterward, you may enter the camp. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You and Eleazar the priest, and the heads of the fathers' households of the congregation, take account of the booty that was captured, both of man and of animal, and divide the booty between the warriors who went out to battle and all the congregation. Levy a tax for the Lord for the men of war who went out to battle one in five hundred of the persons, and of the cattle, and of the donkeys, and of the sheep. Take it from their half, and give it to Eleazar the priest, as an offering to the Lord. From the sons of Israel's half, 
you shall take one drawn out of every fifty of the persons, of the cattle, of the donkeys, and of the sheep, from all the animals, and give them to the Levites, who keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. Moses and Eleazar the priest did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now the booty that remained from the spoil, which the men of war had plundered, was 675,000 sheep and 72,000 cattle and 61,000 donkeys. And of human beings, of the women who had not known man intimately, all the persons were 32,000. The half, the portion of those who went out to war, was as follows, the number of sheep was 337,500. And the Lord's levy of the sheep was 675. And the cattle were 36,000, from which the Lord's levy was 72. And the donkeys were 30,500, from which the Lord's levy was 61. And the human beings were 16,000, from whom the Lord's levy was 32 persons. Moses gave the levy, which was the Lord's offering, to Eleazar the priest, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. As for the sons of Israel's half, which Moses separated from the men who had gone to war, now the congregation's half was 337,500, and 36,000 cattle, and 30,500 donkeys, and the human beings were 16,000. And from the sons of Israel's half, Moses took one drawn out of every fifty, both of man and of animals, and gave them to the Levites, who kept charge of the tabernacle of the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then the officers who were over the thousands of the army, the captains of thousands and the captains of hundreds, approached Moses, and they said to Moses, Your servants have taken a census of men of war who were in our charge, and no man of us is missing. So we have brought as an offering to the Lord what each man found, articles of gold, armlets and bracelets, signet rings, earrings and necklaces, to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. Moses and Eleazar the priest took the gold from them, all kinds of wrought articles. All the gold of the offering which was offered up to the Lord from the captains of thousands and the captives of hundreds was 16,750 shekels. The men of war had taken booty, every man for himself. So Moses and Eleazar the priest took the gold from the captains of thousands and of hundreds and brought it to the tent of meeting as a memorial for the sons of Israel before the Lord. Now the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad had an exceedingly large number of livestock. So when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that it was indeed a place suitable for livestock, the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben came and spoke to Moses and to Eleazar the priest, 
and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eleela, Zabam, Nebo, and Beyond, the land which the Lord conquered before the congregation of Israel, is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. They said, If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. But Moses said to the sons of Gad and to the sons of Reuben, Shall your brothers go to war while you yourselves sit here? Now why are you discouraging the sons of Israel from crossing over into the land which the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the sons of Israel, so they did not go into the land which the Lord has given them. So the Lord's anger burned on that day, and he swore, saying, None of the men who came up from Egypt, from twenty years old and upward, shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. For they did not follow me fully, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua the son of Nun. For they have followed the Lord fully. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness forty years, until the entire generation of those who had done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. Now behold, you have risen up in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to add still more to the burning anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once more abandon them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all these people. Then they came near to him and said, We will build here sheepfolds for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the sons of Israel until we have brought them to their place, while our little ones live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the sons of Israel has possessed his inheritance. For we will not have an inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has fallen to us on this side of the Jordan toward the east. So Moses said to them, If you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord, for the war, and all of you armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you shall return and be free of obligation toward the Lord and toward Israel, and this land shall be yours for a possession before the Lord. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Build yourself cities for your little ones, and sheepfolds for your sheep, and do what you have promised. The sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben spoke to Moses, saying, 
your servants will do just as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our livestock, and all our cattle shall remain there in the cities of Gilead, while your servants, everyone who is armed for war, will cross over in the presence of the Lord to battle, just as my Lord says. So Moses gave command concerning them to Eleazar the priest, and to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' households of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Moses said to them, If the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben, everyone who is armed for battle, will cross with you over the Jordan in the presence of the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead for a possession. But if they will not cross over with you armed, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. The sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. We ourselves will cross over armed in the presence of the Lord into the land of Canaan, and the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us across the Jordan. So Moses gave to them, to the sons of Gad, and to the sons of Reuben, and to the half-tribe of Joseph's son, Manasseh, the kingdom of Sion, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, the king of Bashan, the land with its cities, with their territories, the cities of the surrounding land. The sons of Gad built Dibon, and Ataroth, and Aror, and atroth Shaphan and Jazer, and Jogbaha, and Beth-Nimrah, and Beth-Haran as fortified cities, and sheepfolds for sheep. The sons of Reuben built Heshbon, and Elielah, and Kiriathayim, and Nebo, and Baal-Meon, their names being changed, and Sibma, and they gave other names to the cities which they built. The sons of Machir, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it, and dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. So Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he lived in it. Jair, the son of Manasseh, went and took its towns, and called them Hivath-Jair. Nobah went and took Kenath and its villages, and called it Noba, after his own name. These are the journeys of the sons of Israel, by which they came out from the land of Egypt by their armies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses recorded their starting places according to their journeys by the command of the Lord, and these are their journeys according to their starting places. They journeyed from Ramesses in the first month, on the fifteenth day of the first month. On the next day after the Passover, the sons of Israel started out boldly in the sight of all the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. The Lord had also executed judgments on their gods. Then the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to camp in Succoth. They journeyed from Succoth and camped in Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. They journeyed from Etham 
and turned back to Pi-Hahiroth, which faces Baal-Zephon, and they camped before Migdol. They journeyed from before Hahiroth and passed through the midst of the sea into the wilderness. And they went three days' journey in the wilderness of Atham and camped at Mara. They journeyed from Mara and came to Elim. And in Elim there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they camped there. They journeyed from Elim and camped by the Red Sea. They journeyed from the Red Sea and camped in the wilderness of Sin. They journeyed from the wilderness of Sin and camped at Dofka. They journeyed from Dofka and camped at Alush. They journeyed from Alush and camped at Rephidim. Now it was there that the people had no water to drink. They journeyed from Rephidim and came in the wilderness of Sinai. They journeyed from the wilderness of Sinai and camped at Kibroth Hatava. They journeyed from Kibroth Hatava and camped at Hazaroth. They journeyed from Hazaroth and camped at Rithma. They journeyed from Rithma and camped at Ramon Perez. They journeyed from Ramon Perez and camped at Libna. They journeyed from Libna and camped at Rissa. They journeyed from Rissa and camped in Kehelatha. They journeyed from Kehelatha and camped at Mount Shafur. They journeyed from Mount Shafur and camped at Harada. They journeyed from Harada and camped at Machiloth. They journeyed from Machiloth and camped at Tahath. They journeyed from Tahath and camped at Terra. They journeyed from Terra and camped at Mithka. They journeyed from Mithka and camped at Hashmona. They journeyed from Hashmona and camped at Mazaroth. They journeyed from Mazaroth and camped at Benejaikin. They journeyed from Benejaikin and camped at Hor Hagigad. They journeyed from Hor Hagigad and camped at Jotbatha. They journeyed from Jotbatha and camped at Abrana. They journeyed from Abrana and camped at Ezion Geber. They journeyed from Ezion Geber and camped in the wilderness of Zin, that is, Kadesh. They journeyed from Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor, at the edge of the land of Edom. Then Aaron the priest went up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord, and died there, in the fortieth year after the sons of Israel had come from the land of Egypt, on the first day in the fifth month. Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. Now the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev in the land of Canaan, heard of the coming of the sons of Israel. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor and camped at Zalmanah. They journeyed from Zalmanah and camped at Punan. They journeyed from Punan and camped at Oboth. They journeyed from Oboth and camped at Ea Abarim, at the border of Moab. They journeyed from Eam and camped at 
Dibon Gad. They journeyed from Dibon Gad and camped at Almon Diblathium. They journeyed from Almon Diblathium and camped at the mountains of Abarim before Nebo. They journeyed from the mountains of Abarim and came into the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho. They camped by the Jordan from Beth Jeshemoth as far as Abel Shittim and the plains of Moab. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you cross over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their molten images and demolish all their high places. And you shall take possession of the land and live in it, for I have given the land to you to possess it. You shall inherit the land by lot, according to your families. To the larger you shall be given more inheritance, and to the smaller you shall give less inheritance. Wherever the lot falls to anyone, that shall be his. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come about that those whom you let remain of them will become as pricks in your eyes and as thorns in your sides, and they will trouble you in the land in which you live. And as I plan to do to them, so I will do to you. Okay, so we were reading what seems to be a rehashing of the same thing, or at least a variation of the same thing. And I'm sure at one point or another, you're probably thinking, why? Why is the Lord repeating himself so many times? It seems so unnecessary. But bear this in mind. For us, it may be unnecessary, when it's really not, because he's giving us, Moses is giving us not only a lawful context of what God is expecting from Israel, and in turn expecting from us by some extension, but also he's giving it a historical account. Because remember that what he mentioned in the book of Exodus and in most of the book of Leviticus, if not all of it, was not toward the new generation of Israelites. It was during the 40 years in exile in the wilderness. So this was a new generation that needed to hear the law fresh in their minds and the expectations of them from the Lord himself. So it's not necessarily that God just likes repeating himself and making it very hard for readers like me to get through this with its repetition, but God is very precise in what he needs done um, to where there's no confusion or no gray area in what he's wanting, which I appreciate. But also, this was a new generation that needed to hear the law fresh for themselves so that they would be held accountable to it, just like their fathers did. And in this case, their fathers failed, and they are no longer in the picture for that very reason. So that was what chapter 29 was about. Chapter 30 
is a law about vows. Now, you're going to see that God prefers that we do not vow on his name. And where do I get that from? The New Testament talks about that a lot. And I believe even Jesus said it at one point. He's like, just don't make vows at all. (laughs) Nothing on heaven or on earth or in the name of the Lord, because you got to pay what you vow. And so it's easier just to not do it at all. So don't make promises you can't keep, is what the point of that is. Then in chapter 31, you see the men arm themselves for battle against the Midianites, and they were highly successful. They completely wiped them out. Um, And what was very nice to see as well was um, near the end of the chapter, the officers came to Moses and said, we took a census of all the men who were in our charge, and we didn't lose a single man. You sent out 12,000 soldiers to fight Midian, and we didn't lose anyone. It was a flawless victory in that regard. So here is our offering to the Lord. It ended up being, you know, 190 kilograms of gold. I mean, that's a lot of gold. So, I mean, that's over 400 pounds of gold offering to the Lord. So, um, wonderful. But they made one mistake. And Moses called them out on it. Who did they kill in the fight? They killed all the men. But they took the children and they took the women. And Moses got angry. He's like, guys... What have we told you? Why are you sparing these people? I know it's I know it seems so merciless to want to just wipe out women and children, especially children. I mean, for me, I've got a I have boys of my own and ever since I became a father, I have been so sensitive about seeing the suffering of children. But God's standards are why? Cuz he says that you know, do you not remember that it was the women that caused Israel to go astray? Your fathers fell prey to this, and now you're doing the same thing. You do not want to end up like your ancestors. Behold, these are the ones that caused the sons of Israel to trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. Remember, the worship of Baal. And so a plague was among the congregation of the Lord. Now, they spared the ones that had not been married, had not had uh, intercourse with a man before, and all the girls. Now, why is this? Why didn't they kill everyone? But again, it is because women in those days were able to be conquered and integrated into Israel because they were now became one people with Israel. So the men were no longer influenced because they carried the name and titles of the original Midianites. But the young women and the children who had never committed to a man were free from that obligation. So that's why all the boys and all the men were killed in this sense, so that the women could be married into the people of Israel and became one people. They just completely integrated 
And that was a common practice in those days. That was the best way to integrate people into a new culture, was to take their women. And their women would marry or be taken into marriage in another culture, and that would make them one people. So this was a common practice in the day. And uh, plunder was great, as we saw here. I mean, hundreds of thousands of sheep and cattle and donkeys. You know, that's a lot of uh, profit from that war. So certainly the Lord owed a small portion of what they had gained tribute to him for giving them the victory. And then we see something very interesting here in uh, chapter 32, where two and a half tribes had decided that, you know what, we like this land of Gilead better than the promised land. So instead of letting us go into the promised land and taking some of it for ourselves, as the Lord wanted, give us this land on this side of the Jordan. We like this part better. And at first it was interesting because it starts off with saying that uh, it was Gad and Reuben that said this. But then when you get to the end, it said that the half-tribe of Manasseh also jumped in on the, on the action as well. And so I thought that was interesting because at first they weren't even mentioned and then they were. So I guess maybe they wanted to be included as well. So Manasseh also got a portion of this land, but there was under one condition. You all can have this land, but you still need to fight for us like you are taking a piece of the promised land. You are not going to back out, and you are not going to abandon your brothers. So you all can have this, but your men have to come across the Jordan and fight with us until everything is achieved. And they agreed to it. And then chapter 33 is a retelling of the entire um, trip, the entire journey of the people of Israel from the time they left Egypt until now. And I love this because it records the entire itinerary of the Israelites from an archaeological standpoint. That is significant because God is not only very specific about where they went, and we can see with pinpoint accuracy where the people of Israel went, but we can just, that God recorded it for us to show just how precise this is, that this is not just a story, you know, this is not just some work of fiction, this is history, and these are historical places, and you just see all these places that um, were not towns. These were campsites. And unfortunately, my commentary says that most of these areas are not even known today. We don't even know half of where these places are. But the ones that we do give us a good idea of the trip that the Israelites took for the 40 years. So I think that's very, very neat because we get to see with our own eyes what God had them do. So we can better understand what God was doing. And then at the end of the itinerary, it has, again, instructions about when, you, when they possess the land, you've got to make sure you wipe everyone out, 
He made sure that you destroy all their idolatry. Why? So that you do not be influenced by them. Do not let them coexist with you again. Because if you do not drive them out, that whoever is left of them will become as pricks in your eyes and as thorns in your sides. We understand the thorn in your side because we use that language today, but prick in your eye. Imagine having you know, some sort of like pain in your eye every time you blink. I mean, that's how they're going to be with you. But not only that, but he said that as I plan to do to them, I will do to you. You want to be disobedient to me, I will destroy you too if you don't obey me. So God is completely serious because he knows the heart of men. And he knows that every little thing drives us astray. Even in today's world, all the distractions of life and all the pleasures of the world that are out there constantly distract us. And they sometimes get us off track and cause us to sin against the Lord. I know this firsthand, and I'm sure everyone listening does too, to some degree. So, surely, we should be steadfast in our efforts and stay close to the Lord. That's why it talks about in the New Testament, book of Ephesians, we talk about the armor of God. That is something that we wear every day. If you wake up one day lazily and not put on your armor, then we are open to attack. And if we are open to attack, there is a high chance that Satan will get some shots in on us and they will be successful. And then that will cause us to lose ground. Cause us to backslide. And we don't want to go there. Now, I wanted to f finish today's with just two thoughts of that were mentioned in today's scripture that we should carry with us today. So, the first one was, did you notice that when they defeated Midian, there was somebody in there that was mentioned personally? Did you see it? Balaam was numbered by the people who were killed with the sword. Why? I thought he was an oracle of God. I thought he went and he did these things and he gave God's oracle to bless Israel three times. Why was he killed by the edge of the sword? Well, first off, we have to ask ourselves, what was Balaam doing in Midian? We knew from the very start that his motives were not pure. Okay? Because God told him not to go with the people of uh, Balak. But he did anyway because he knew he was going to get something out of it. So he bargained with God. He said, well, I'll, I'm going to go, but I'll listen to you and I'll do what you say, but I get to do whatever I want too. And we see this attitude in him throughout this whole process until the very end where he realized, you know what? God is going to have his way. I just need to do whatever he wants and let the Spirit of God speak. And he did. And that's when we get the last oracles before he disappears off the scene. But yet here he is. He was destroyed because he had a divided allegiance. He, in turn, was part of the group of people who caused Israel 
to go into idolatry with Baal. And in turn, again, adultery is a big portion of Baal worship. And he also led them astray on that. So he was killed because he was not of God. God used him, but he was not of God. You would think, well, that's how is that possible? He was a prophet. He was an oracle of God. He, the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, in those days, the Holy Spirit would empower people, would enter into someone and empower them. But the Holy Spirit was not a permanent addition to a person in most cases. Sometimes he would leave. We don't have that problem today because God has promised it would never happen like that anymore. But back then, the Holy Spirit would enter into somebody to accomplish his will, and then sometimes if they were unworthy, he would leave them. He promises never to leave us, thank God. But we see this in Balaam. Not only through evil does God accomplish his will, Balaam chose what side he was on at the end, and he was not on God's side, and so he was slaughtered, just like every Midianite. Just like Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He is a good shepherd, and the shepherd knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. All the other ones that are not his sheep are goats. And the Bible uses that illustration of goats being the unsaved versus the sheep who are the chosen, saved people of God. Balaam was used for his purposes, but he died as a sinner, and he was considered a goat. So, a lesson for us to learn. We need to not have divided allegiance. God should be our only means of allegiance. Or, if you can't be honest with yourself and you choose the things of this world over God, make your decision. Do not live in both worlds because you will not please God in any means. In fact, he hates that. And that is language you see throughout the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation, where it talks about being hot or cold, right? And even Jesus says, he's, he said, I would rather you be hot or cold. Pick a side. Make up your mind. But you have chosen to be lukewarm, somewhere in the middle of being hot and cold, right? So where you have one foot in the side of evil, one foot in the side of good. And if you are going to be lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You make me sick. Do we want to be that in God's presence? He wants us to make up our minds and stop living a lie. If we are worshiping God for all the benefits we can get, for all the things he can do for us, and yet we have no love for the Lord in us, why are you lying to yourself? God would rather you just be clear in your intentions. Because nothing he hates nothing more than liars, and false teachers, false prophets, the false, fake people. He does not like them because they are not genuine to, their, to who they are, to their nature. Pick a side. I'm hoping it's the right side. But only you know that.
So that was one thing. And then the second thing was something that uh, Moses said to the uh, people of Reuben and of Gad when they wanted the land of Gilead. He said this, he's like, you will go and you will fight in it across the Jordan until the land is completely subdued. But here's the thing. If you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure that your sin will find you out. Secret sins. They plague everyone. You can put on a pretty face to your fellow man. But if you're living in some sort of secret sin, God knows. He sees it. Every, he sees everything. And he is displeased with secret sins. I would know because I am the same way. I am not so overt in my sins. I'm, I commit worse sins, and those are the ones that are done in secret whether it's something I'm harboring in my heart, some sort of bitterness or hatred, or the things that I used to do, like secretly break the rules, secretly disobey, or behind closed doors when no one's watching, how am I conducting myself? Am I doing things that are pleasing to the Lord, or am I secretly sinning, thinking I can play both sides? And it's the same problem. Your sin will be found out. God will hold you accountable. You may get away with it with mankind, but you won't get away with it from God. No matter how much you convince yourself, no matter how sneaky you think you are, God is completely aware of everything you're doing. And I say this as a man who is challenging himself as well. Because sometimes when I'm off track or when the things of this world just overwhelm me and I start losing heart, I want to go back to those things too. But rest assured, God will judge those things. And if you go through the context of the Bible, he seems to judge that more harshly than he would just a, a sin of ignorance or a an overt sin. It just seems that way. So just be careful with that. That we, if we're going to sin against the Lord, your sin will found, be found out. Maybe not in this life, but in the next one. So surely we don't want to be cursed. We don't want to be undergoing consequences of our wrong actions. The Lord does punish our sin. He does not always punish it as we deserve, but he is a just and compassionate God at the same time. He will execute judgment and justice. But through his grace, may he go easy on you. That should not be a license for us to sin by any stretch. But he knows our frame. He knows we as human beings are so easily off track. And he is patient with us. And remember that. And give him the grace and the and the glory for that. And that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we will see you next time. Until then, take care, and God bless you.